Hey everybody, Jake from Tasting Anarchy here. Wine can be really confusing. When you're starting out, it's hard to tell high quality wine from a bottle of Plunk. It can also get really expensive. Boy, have I found that out lately by looking at my bank statements. I did a lot of research to find a better way to buy quality wine without breaking the bank, and that's how I discovered an awesome website called Last Bottle Wines. Last Bottle Wines has fostered personal relationships with wineries across the world and offer one bottle of high-quality wine a day at 30 to 70% off. When the bottle is gone, it's gone. New day, new bottle, new savings. I recently ordered a Spanish Tempranillo. Y'all know how much Mason and I love Tempranillo. This wine normally retails for $74, and I got it from Last Bottle Wines for only 32 bucks. It's not a wine club, so there's no fees. Shipping is affordable and can even be free. You know Mason and I are always after the best wines at the best price. We want you to enjoy the same deal. That's why we got you this special offer. Some of our listeners have already taken advantage of the deal and are loving the experience. All you need to do is go to lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off your first purchase while helping your favorite Wine and Liberty podcast. That's lastbottlewines.com slash invite slash tasting anarchy to get $10 off a delicious bottle of wine at 30 to 70% off. This week we are joined by Mark Clare, the famous the famous libertarian host who is partially responsible for inspiring this show. I don't know if you knew that, Mark. I think that— I did not know that specifically. I don't know if I did. Well, you know, I think— I feel I, like that's information I should know, though. I feel, you know, that, that's very flattering. Uh, I don't know if we actually have, have said it very much on the show, but I think until you guys started Lions of Liberty, everybody, Mark Clare is the host of the flagship Lions of Liberty on Mondays, and oh, they, have, uh, they have three other good shows as well that— both Mason and I listen to. I think Mason, you're a big fan of Felony Friday, right? I am. Yeah, and uh, I, to be honest, as a known I, felon, I, I respect <laughs> him to be right. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly only listen to the Monday show because the Felony Friday show depresses me, and there's so many other programs that come out on Wednesday that I I always forget that to to listen to Brian. But when I do, it's they always are loving hearing this right. Oh, now. I'm sure they are, <laughs> uh, dude. Felony Friday. It, Whenever he has a guest on who's been in prison for like 10 years for like having a bag of weed in his pocket or something like that, it is the most depressing thing to me. See, I used to sort of, when I, when I first started to hear some of those stories, I used to think in kind of that way too. And then when I started to, what started to happen to me is at some point I went from being depressed and angry about hearing a lot of these stories and becoming really inspired because these people are on his show because they are out of prison. They are out of that uh, system. And most of them, almost all of them universally have done so much to improve their lives and uh, deal with the world the best they can in, in a system in which once you're a felon, you're in many ways handicapped for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, these stories highlight people that have simply overcome those odds in so many ways, in ways that, you know, many of these people are entrepreneurs and run amazing businesses and may have 
have made a lot of money. Uh, even when people that have been in jail for decades have accomplished a lot more than people that have been free for their entire lives. So to me, uh, I totally get where you're coming from on that. But the yeah. more I've listened to these people, the more I've simply become uh, inspired by these stories more than anything else. Well, and that, I, I have seen that is a, a very common vein where they they get out and they do because and it's almost they're forced to become entrepreneurs because yeah, they can't because yeah. they can't get into the regular labor force. So, so right. they, they just have to do something. And actually, I think, uh, you know, you've had Larry Sharp on, who Mason and I are big fans of Larry Sharp as well. Uh, I think that was sort of what happened with his mom was that she was having a really hard time getting a job. And so that kind of forced him and her into becoming entrepreneurs. Right. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got a great story. He, do, he does have a great story. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a cool guy. But anyways, uh, Mark, I sent you a bottle of Texas Tempranillo. Or Tempranillo. Yes. Uh, I can never pronounce it correctly, but it. Jacob, don't you mean Texas kombucha? That's right. Texas kombucha. It is um, <laughs> perfectly legal for me to send Texas kombucha across borders, and it was all legal. Everything was legal. There's no reason to look into this at all. It was kombucha, and Mark was this able. This is just a Texas <laughs> wine of some kind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, Mark, you are having it with pizza. What do you think of this wine? <laughs> Uh, well, it, it was supposed to be pizza, and uh, so I used this, like, kind of uh, hootie-tootie California uh, cauliflower crust, and I was rushing, of course, because I, I'm terrible at planning my life, and uh, I, I kind of heated it a little bit too fast, and it's it's less pizza than it is, uh, like, pizza mash, you might say. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, the wine is delicious, and it does go, actually, quite well with this weird cauliflower, vegan, gluten-free pizza mash I made. I can, t- I can teach you how to make a really good gluten-free crust that actually works really well uh i would love to know that because i I mean there are ones you can buy and they usually do turn out fine when i take my time and i'm not rushing uh but uh you know it's always good to be a little more self-sufficient yeah well dollars for one of these mine's mostly made out of cheese but it's it oh i you know i recently Mm -hmm. made a for the very first time last week i made a cheese tortilla and made tacos with cheese tortillas yeah i I, I kind of know where you're coming yeah okay okay so yeah you sort of know mason you've actually had it before but i if i recall i i kind of screwed it up and it was too dry yeah it was, a, it was a little the, too dry the one time the cheese essentially becomes the crust then is that basically the, the idea yeah it's basically so the, the the cheese it's a parmesan cheese mixed in with uh mozzarella cheese and also a little bit of uh almond flour and then yeah. and then it just kind of like it just be, it becomes the crust it's really good when it's on the i think actually it's better the second day because the sauce has time to soak in, but I think it's a really great crust. I, I We eat it all the time here. I make it all the time because we do semi-paleo. Well, if you shoot me that recipe after the show, I, I, the next time I make one of these, I, I will give it a shot. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's uh, I will shoot that to you because it's a great recipe. But anyways, just to kind of go – On the next episode yeah. of Cooking Anarchy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there is a there is a Cooking Anarchy show. Well, it's – Oh, is that really? <laughs> it's called it's called the Culinary Libertarian. Damn uh, it! So we can't steal that one. But well, he's he's kind of in the same vein as this uh, next generation, I guess. Uh, well, maybe a third generation because we had like the Tom Woodses, who are these like super genius academics, <laughs> and then we had the the next level, which was like you guys and Jason Stapleton and Johnny Rocket and all of them, who were kind Jason of like Jason Stapleton will be so upset to hear you put uh, him on the same tier as us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I say that as someone who's uh, become friends with Jason over the last year, so. Yeah. 
yeah. since he's, he's living in L.A. So I, <laughs> I say it in jest, but okay. you guys have a you know he's he's not known for his lack of high opinions. He, he does. He <laughs> and does. He would laugh at that as well. He does have a high opinion of himself. That is true. He reminds me a lot of my dad actually because they're they're both special forces. But but uh, I don't think it's necessarily a terrible quality. It's all about how you use it. You yeah, can exactly. use a, a high a high esteem for you can weaponize it negatively or you can weaponize it positively. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, then we've got we've got. Masons in my level, which I'm going, I'm going to put us on the same level as the Friends Against Government and Brello and Slappy and all that sort of stuff, which was just like, yeah, we like what they're doing. It's all serious, but let's go into like a completely different level. And, and actually, Brian's kind of like this too. Uh, his show is very cultural. And I like your idea. Put him on Gen 3. Put him yeah. lower. He could be a Gen 3. <laughs> I, like, I like where this is going, gentlemen. Right. So, and that's kind of, I think, what, what you guys did was you sort of showed everybody that, well, you don't have to have a PhD to start a libertarian podcast. Just talk, yeah. talk about what you're interested in. One of the things that I really admire about you, Mark, is I've been listening to your show since like episode – 15 or 16 and that's awesome you're one of the uh, the elites because we had very small low numbers at that time well I, I can't remember where i i think i just saw, i think i just saw it one time on stitcher or something like that and i was like oh great another libertarian show i'll listen to this because i think the very first episode and it may be a little bit higher than that was the episode you had your dad on for father's day that might have been a little higher than that yeah that was i think that was somewhere within the first year okay yeah because that's the that's the first episode i heard and i loved it and i was like this guy his dad is like sort of like my dad because he's ex-military and well my dad's my dad's still active duty but uh he reminds me a lot of it and the way he talks is very similar but then like also jason stapleton kind of reminds me of my dad too because they're very self-assured and uh but my dad's much more soft-spoken much more like your dad and just like hearing the way that you guys talk reminded so me so much of like my own journey into libertarianism because my dad thinks i'm a nut like he thinks he thinks I'm crazy, but and, I mean, my dad probably does still a little bit too. But, yeah, well, but, but I did get him to support and vote for Ron Paul at one point, so you know that's something. Well, my my dad did too. My dad, I think, in uh, the second time, I think 2012, my dad voted for Ron Paul, or I can't remember actually. I, I know that I got my mom. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this. I got my mom to vote for uh, Bob Barr, <laughs> which was my first my first vote was for well, Bob Jake, Barr. Jacob. I'm pretty sure my dad voted for Gary Johnson, not this time, but last time. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I think this time all of my family went for Trump. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your guys' opinion of that actually? Because I, I I've been on so many podcasts lately that I forget exactly yeah. which one I talked about it on with. I think it might have been uh, uh, with uh, Pete Raymond on Free Man Beyond the Wall. But uh, it's an interesting concept. The idea of does it? Would you rather have a bad Libertarian Party candidate? Not to hijack your show here, but you know, ideas come into my head that mm -hmm. I have to say them. Would you rather have like a a bad Libertarian candidate? Like I I would think most Libertarians don't see Bob Barr as a good Libertarian candidate he was a, a drug warrior for most of his yeah. life uh really held strongly anti-libertarian positions not like i think he's worse than gary johnson who just kind of fuddled his way around and didn't hold any positions that were so extremely terribly anti-libertarian yeah uh, but bob Barr definitely did and some like walter block would say he'd rather have a bad libertarian candidate just to get the name out there more and hopefully some of those people get to the good libertarians versus having no libertarian candidate at all so i'm curious what you guys think about that well i think it's you know one of the things that we often say on this show is uh walter block is a superior grape so <laughs> i would go with walter's opinion like when in doubt ha having a good libertarian candidate like you know it's kind of like the jason stapleton you know he's not he's a libertarian but he's also more minarchist and jacob and i are full-blown anarchists and we don't understand how he doesn't make the full transition a lot of the times but half the time he's like look if we can get to the point where my minimal government is interfering is like the only government we have then we can have that full conversation so at least having somebody out there with the conversation it's like gary johnson like right. 
had a lot of conversation going on. Not great, but a lot better than what Bob Barr was doing. Even yeah. then, like even the Aleppo like, thing, it gave me so yeah. many opportunities to legitimately talk about foreign policy with people. And, and well, then, oh, yeah, absolutely, and be like, all silver linings. Well, it, so I mean, is, yeah, you're right. That that is the that president whole... need to know where her place in Syria is. Exactly, exactly. Right. Why should right. why, why should, should that be he? our concern in the first place? Yeah, and yeah, and I I kind of I think I'm sort of in that same vein with Walter Block, where I would rather have. I would rather have a a libertarian who would be maybe not as far along the libertarian road as me that's a good communicator. That that was my biggest although you know I was a huge Gary Johnson supporter in 2012. Like that that's actually one of the reasons I think why he was a better candidate in 2012. I, I think so too. And and that was actually that campaign is what sort of split me from the local libertarians in in Virginia Beach because I helped with the Republicans. I helped them with Ron Paul's campaign and then and the agreement or at least my understanding of the agreement was I help you with Ron Paul if he doesn't get the nomination you come help me with Gary Johnson and as soon as Ron Paul lost they all I called up and I was like all right guys I got the signs I got the literature let's go door to door we're going to stomp stomp the ground we're going to pass out the stuff and they were all like oh yeah we're uh we're supporting Romney <laughs> and I was like how, how is this even – how can you make that transition? Like how, how is that even a possible transition? Well, because even people like that who might see a lot of things the right way will f- often fall into the lesser of two evils trap. That's kind of how I would clarify my dad I guess in a way. Like he, he supported Ron Paul, eventually sent him money, voted for him in primaries. But at the end of the day, you know, he didn't go and jump over and start campaigning for Gary Johnson. He's, yeah. He still sees it in the way of we have to at least stop the Democrats because they're so much worse. And to some extent, uh, I can understand that, especially as someone like my dad who's uh, very big on the gun issue. Um, it's hard not to say that they are a, a worse evil on that one issue. Yeah. Uh, that's not the way I look at voting and politics, but I can I can see how some would. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and, and I, think I a can't lot of people it. just fall into that trap. Yeah, and I and I and I think the Democrat people who are Democrats also fall into that same trap too. Is sure. When like the never like well actually the never Trumpers would be more Republicans, but like the there was a version of it that didn't. Yeah, I mean, there was a strong contingent of Bernie people that did not. Yeah, exactly. Well, there there was I think, but there was a lot of Bernie Bros too, or like just Bernie supporters in general who were like, well, you know, we got to go with Hillary because our guy didn't yeah. get it. But I think that what they did to Bernie is really what cost her that election. What and, absolutely, um, it's one one of one of many factors, things. For sure. Yeah, one of many things, but. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, was- I actually heard someone I work with today saying, you know, someone had mentioned that and I, I try not to get into stuff at work too much. People know I have a podcast. They know generally what I believe. So I don't need to jump into their the sort of left right battles that go on. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no real battles because I work in. Los California, Angeles, so it's really <laughs> really only goes one go one way there. Yeah. Uh, but she's saying, I, I, I'm sick of hearing about these Bernie people who these millennials who just whined and it didn't get their way, so they didn't vote for Hillary. As if as if you have to just fall in line, or it's simply just whining and not getting your way. It actually sounds the other way around. It sounds like you're whining that they didn't fall in line behind what you wanted them to do. Yeah, yeah. And people don't seem to understand. It's like, look, yeah, you we we, we didn't get what we wanted in any capacity. Right. Welcome right. to my world. Where well, we never you, get what we want. Well, and I, I think that's actually a really strong point and i've i've if, if we're counting points or whatever here i've won a lot of points with with my family who's from la and that you know they're big big left wingers i most of my family's from northern california but i have some family in la and uh they're big time lefties and stuff like that big big bernie supporters and i said you know how you feel right now that's how i feel every single election <laughs> for anything yeah and and for a moment they had a little bit of empathy <laughs> and they were like <laughs> they, they kind of went huh and i said don't you think it would just be better if we just broke up like 
you know, Northern California can do its own thing and be separate from Southern California. For, for a second, I thought you, I thought you meant you and your family. I'm like, hey, it's a little extreme. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no. Well, I, usually, usually it's on the breaking California up into two or yeah, or more. Yeah. And because you know, even though I'm in in political exile here in Texas, I still think of myself as a Californian. And uh, actually, my dad, my dad was out here last weekend with his big green Jefferson hat on. Uh, great state of Jefferson because he's a he's a big supporter of the state splitting up. And for for that very reason it's just like look northern california and southern california are very different there's no reason that they need to be ruled from the same place and they have different interests their their populations are very different and uh let's go and split up and i kind of feel that way well i don't kind of feel that way i feel like i feel like the country should be you know 350 small countries but 350 million small countries and but you know the more the better in, in my opinion and uh but I think that I think that with how crazy this the political system is getting right now, and you guys have made this point several times on on Lions of Liberty, especially with your libertarians in living room drinking liquor, which I have a point for that as well, in my notes. <laughs> but uh, I'll give you a point for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have I have a point here that uh, speaking of libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, well that'll be the that'll be the transition is. The the last episode that that uh, John Odermatt did, which was Felony Friday, and you guys did a living room li- libertarians in living room drinking liquor. Yes, we we have brought the format to our our various other shows so that it, it kind of rotates around. Right. So you said in that episode that you had a Pinot Noir and a, and a backup Merlot. How did you arrive at those two wines? And uh, like, what is your what's your normal go to when you're buying alcohol? So you had two wines in this case. I thought you were a beer guy and. Uh, and occasionally like a, a liquor guy, like Wild Turkey or something like that. Um, what was it that, that got you those wines? Well, I, I go through phases. I, I, I do like wine like at dinner or sometimes I'll just go through phases where like if I'm just sitting at home at night, I'd rather probably drink like if I'm not trying to go out and you know get drunk, quote unquote, in that mm-hmm. way. If I'm just kind of relaxing at night, like I do like to drink like red wines just to kind of wind down. Uh, it's not necessarily. It's not typically a go-to drink like during a podcast kind of thing. Or then, then I'm usually drinking more beer, more uh, liquor. So that's probably why you would you would associate me more with that stuff. Okay. Whereas a wine, I'm probably either drinking at like an either a nice dinner or if I'm just kind of winding down at night. Um, to be perfectly honest, I had those particular wines because uh, those are the two wines that a, a girl I'm currently dating uh, likes. So oh, okay. <laughs> that's why I just happened to have them around. Do you? And they were the last last two left of a batch. Okay. If you want, I can send you some. I, I'm not a big Merlot person, but I know that you said that in the show that you're not usually a big Merlot person either. Uh, I can send you some recommendations for some really good Pinot Noir that's affordable, and you could bring it home and impress her. I will take those recommendations. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll message them. And then to I'll you. have to make sure she doesn't hear this, so that she <laughs> this an original recommendation. Right. Come on, we're third tier podcast. Unless you yeah, promote exactly. this, she's not hearing it. Right? Yeah. She's just uh, listen to Stapleton up, uh, Stapleton up on this. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this brings me to another alcohol decision because this is something else that Mason, you, and me all have in common, and other people in libertarianism for some reason. This is universal, or maybe not universal, but very damn near it. What's up with Yingling? Why? <laughs> Why do we all like Yingling? You know, when I was in college, it was the big thing because we were we went to Penn State, and I don't worship the Yingling as as much as my counterparts do, as many of my counterparts do. I did drink it heavily in college, but that was a point when I didn't really, you know, just having beer was the exciting part. I wasn't right. really thinking about what that beer was. Is it cheap? 
That's all I care about. Can I afford it with a $7 in my pocket for this case of beer? Is the answer yes? A Miller High Life? That sounds great. I, you know, I didn't know the difference between anything. Mm -hmm. So that was obviously a popular <laughs> beer just because it's a Pennsylvania-made beer. And uh, it's not really available. I think now it is available in some other states. But for a long time, it wasn't really available anywhere outside of PA, maybe some places in western New York. Uh, I don't really think there's anything special about, about Yingling, to be honest. We've had this discussion before um, on the show. Okay. Uh, to me, I, I really don't love it. I actually think it is kind of gross. <laughs> so I, can't, I can't really defend the phenomenon myself. Some of my counterparts would probably give you a more impassioned argument for, for why they like it. There's also a debate. Some say that it tastes better. Try to remember which one it is. I think, it, I think they say it tastes better out of the bottle than out of the can, mm -hmm. the other way around. Oh, but man. that's an interesting aspect. I kind of think it tastes like piss either way. Honestly, like I – since Mason and I have grown up, Mason and I have been friends from libertarianism going back to like our early, early 20s. Uh, I guess we were both technically still in school when we met Mason. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I guess it's sort of a college thing as well for us is because we were both in college and it was cheap. Um, I, honestly, like I, there was several – for a few years, I didn't like it. And then I had one when Mason, you and I went to the country club with our boss. And mm -hmm. I remember going like, why did I like this? <laughs> like, But – but it, there is a strong, strong contingency among, at least in libertarian Twitter, that is so into Yingling. I think it's, I think it's partially because of the age and how old a brewery it is. But like, I grew up in Virginia, and my parents were drinking it, you know, since I was a kid. But it's kind of like that second tier beer, where like it's not Coors Light, it's not Michelob, you know, it's not these the Lions of Liberty of beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not super dirt cheap beer so it's got a little bit of flavor but it's not like you know high-end craft beer but it's like all right look you know before blue moon really became popular and things like that where it's like oh it's a widely available more exotic doesn't taste just like filtered water i, I think that's that's probably that's probably an accurate decision yeah it has more substance to it than yeah. say like a miller light i think yeah. that's fair to say and I exaggerate when I say it tastes like piss. It's not that bad. I just don't. I don't particularly like it. Right. Well, I don't dislike it either. You know? Speaking of things with more substance, let me get into a more substantial question. Indeed. All right. That's a, that was a tra that was a good transition. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting better at this. So actually, Mark, one of the things that the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I admire your show so well. I have always right. really liked your interview style. Like I think that you're just you have it's casual, but it's also incredibly informative. And one of the things that I was wondering, because I, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're nailing it. So I'm trying to transition this show a little bit with Mason into uh, doing more interviews with wineries and with people who are involved in a lot of laws. You know, we were discussing earlier before we started recording, there's uh, a law going through in Texas that is kind of weird. And I have a couple of wineries on the hook slightly that, to try to do some interviews with them and ask them a little bit about it, what's going on with it. What are some resources? Like, how did you learn to do the interviewing? Is this, is, did you take any classes on this or did you just watch a bunch of YouTube videos of how to do it? How did, how have you, because there, there's cl a clear difference between when you started and where you're at now, as far as interviewing, it may just be experience, <laughs> but you've, you've improved a lot, but even at the beginning, you were pretty good. Did you take classes in college or anything like that? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that because, well, I, I almost said no, but I guess in a way you could say, so I, I first went to Penn state and I was going into journalism. That was the direction I wanted to go in. Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up not going in that direction. I took a few journalism classes and I actually just wasn't that wrapped into the, I think it was more the way it was taught in a lot of ways. And I just, I wasn't fascinated by, it wasn't as compelling to me as, as what I had envisioned it to be, you know, okay. I, I guess I was picturing more like I was just going to be the next like Cy Hirsch or something like, right. you know, and it just it, the way it's taught to you in class is just a very 
very dry and very it's all about the facts and getting things at the and being unbiased, which ultimately is bullshit. There's no such thing as being unbiased. So you know, I've come to think that being a, a, a true, honest journalist is revealing your bias and then doing your best to be fair beyond that, but not pretending you're unbiased. Because when when organizations pretend to be unbiased, it's so easy to see the bias that it's, it's laughable right, sometimes. Right. Um, going on a tangent though, but I, I think um, this actually came out a, a little bit in the interview that I had with my dad. Um, where he told me when I was a kid, he remembers me always asking why. Like I would always ask higher level questions. And if I wasn't satisfied with an answer that I got, I would just continue to pound away and say, well, why is that? And if I did, and I was never let up until I got to the truth or as far as I thought I could possibly get. So I think in many ways that was ingrained in me from the beginning. I definitely didn't have any formal training in, in how to do an interview or anything like that. This was entirely just something I, I decided I wanted to do. Ultimately, I was just looking for more libertarian content, for more libertarian podcasts. And at the time, there really were, I don't want to say none. Uh, this guy Robert Wenzel had a podcast. Mm -hmm. Lou Rockwell had a podcast. But they were both irregular. They didn't necessarily come out on a regular schedule, yeah. and I liked a little bit of what they were doing, but I was looking to open my my iTunes on a regular basis and, and find libertarian podcasts, and it's, it might seem funny for me to say that now because there are just so many libertarian podcasts now. Yeah. Um, back in the day, and this is only 2013, that's how much things have yeah, changed, yeah. there really weren't any to speak of. No, uh, that, I think that, yeah. there's, Cato had one, uh, and right when I was starting it, actually, like literally as I was starting it is when I saw started seeing ads for the Tom Woods show. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I have a little competition in the field here <laughs> since Tom has a little bit of a head start when it comes to name recognition well, and that sort of thing. I, I think there – I mean even back then because I, I podcasted back then, but all my podcasting stuff was – pop culture i had a comic book podcast called the comic kings podcast and i had a or i was a co-host on another one called the mike federale show but there wasn't anything libertarian back then it was it was occasionally lou rockwell uh Tom Woods was the first really regular one that I remember. Yeah. He was the first five day a week one that I know. Oh, for yeah, for sure. For it may sure. still be one of the only. I mean, there but, aren't that many yeah. that can keep up that output. But I, I don't think you were that far behind Tom uh, on. No, we literally started like the same month. Really? Okay. Okay. Oh, I, didn't <laughs> I know was that. like, I'm going to fill the niche. I'm going to be the go to libertarian podcast. And then I see Tom Woods. I'm like, okay, well, he might have a leg up on me on this one. But, well, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I, re I remember. And you turn the corner and he's got 35 episodes out and you're like, I got 10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I was never going to try to compete with Tom Woods. In many ways, I don't see other libertarian podcasts as competitors. I suppose they technically are. But I see us all as a, a niche that is growing together. And mm -hmm. as the movement grows and as people seek out alternative ideas and alternative sources of information, uh, we're all going to grow together. And I, I think yeah. um, I hate like tropey cliches. But, you know, the, in this case, I think the rising uh, – what is it? The rising sea rises all ships, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean. I yeah, think it's good for yeah, all of us. Yeah. To grow together. Well, and I agree, and I think that your guys' show has grown a lot uh, in that regard as well, is that you've discovered other niches that could be filled. Uh, Brian sure. McWilliams on Wednesdays, he fills that, that you know, the South Parky kind of sarcastic comedy <laughs> niche, and also Felony Friday, which I think was a little bit before Brian McWilliams. Um, yes, he was the first of, of the spinoffs. Yeah, so mm -hmm. okay. The, the Felony Friday is a is a really great addition to that, it, it, as much as I say it's depressing. It, it, it's a it's very important what he highlights, and uh, he does a really good job sort of, you know, showing – what is it that he says? It's the injustice of the – uh, the injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Yeah, exactly. I got all, yeah. all the taglines down. Yeah. Oh, it, it's <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, and and I think that that 
that you're right. So the market's expanding. A lot of people come in. They want to hear either interviews with libertarians or, or um, people who are politically active, which is, is one of the things that you do. They also want to hear his interviews with people who have gone through and been grinded up in this meat grimer, grinder and then triumph. But they also want to hear like what happened last week on South Park. So right. uh, You can hear both on his show. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, and, and that's kind of one of the directions that Mason and I are trying to take uh, as well, which is to be like, look, if you're interested in wine, here's another show. That we're going to try to focus a little bit on wine and wine law, but did you know that the government's this much involved in what you drink, and they're preventing you from being able to get, you know, for actually, this is a great example of this, that the Tempranillo you're drinking today, Mark, is not available in California, and you can't order it from the winery here in Texas because of the interstate commerce laws. Uh, California and Texas don't allow the shipping uh, correctly, which is great that I drove out to California and hand-delivered it to you because that that is allowed and totally <laughs> that legal. That was nice of you. I really do appreciate you coming right. out here. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad we didn't get to spend much time hanging out. You took off right away. Uh, I, I, yeah, I had to get back to work. It was it was tough. But that kind of goes to, to you know back to how you guys developed your show. One of the things that I'm really impressed about your show as well is that you're able to get a large number of guests, both high tier and just you discover like just regular people people who are awesome interviews who are doing really exciting things in Liberty. How do you approach those people? Do you, do you just email them and ask them if they want to be on the show? Like how, what is, how do you source guests? Cause that's one of the things that I'm trying to do too, is I, I always have a, I'm not sure how to approach people who I think are important and that I want to interview, but that are in the wine industry in this case, but in your case, it's, it's people who are involved in Liberty. Do you just email them and just say, Hey, do you want to come on my show? Like what's the process for finding guests? I actually love questions like this because it's the kind of stuff that people that are out there that are just thinking about, uh, you know, starting their own thing that it, it, it's the kind of thing that seems like the stumbling block in many ways. Like mm -hmm. I'm nobody. How do I get people to come on my show? Uh, but that's where I was f uh, five years ago. I yeah. was literally nobody. Nobody knew who I was. I, I didn't even, I wasn't, remotely known in the libertarian movement i wasn't even really involved in it i was just someone who was a libertarian mm -hmm. uh, in my mind and with you know a small group of friends that i talked to things about so i was no more known than anybody that could possibly be listening to your show right now uh my initial approach to guests was i simply found people i wanted to be, have on the show sent them a nice email and said hey look i'm starting this podcast luckily we had actually had the website for a couple of years because we first started as a blog lions of liberty um dot blogspot.com or something like that then we became a real website so uh, for a couple of years we just did a lot of articles and that sort of thing so we were around we at least had a presence some people might have seen articles from us so you know they it's possible someone i reach out to may, may have at least heard of us at least so there was there's at least that uh but really i was no one i doubt anyone got an email me, from me i was like oh mark from lines of liberty i was you know <laughs> they had never heard of me uh i was just polite and told the truth and said look i'm, I'm starting a podcast uh, i'd really love to have you on i really love your insights would you do this and pretty much everyone said yes like i really and this is something that uh, pete raymond said the other day when when we were talking about the same thing he said that's the, the thing about libertarians and uh, i'm sure there's a point where i guess some of us can get too big for this but we're people that love to talk and we love to talk about liberty and we're pretty much always willing to do it so it's really not hard i i, I can't think of a single podcast appearance i've ever turned down i go on any podcast uh if you're big or small i don't care i will come and talk about liberty because i would do that for free with someone i never met before so of course i'll do it with a libertarian
parliamentarian who is doing their own thing and trying to spread the ideas. Right. Um, so to me, it, it's really it's not as big a hurdle as it can seem. And nowadays, sometimes I'll just there'll be someone I want to get to, and I might have even reached out through traditional methods, and I'll just send them a tweet, and then other people see the tweet and might even like it or retweet it, mm-hmm. and that can actually sometimes get more attention to them than just sending my actually a, a direct personal email. So that's something that's evolved uh, since I first started. When I first started, it was simply emails that I would find, but now sometimes you can't even find an email for somebody. You know, yeah. Sometimes just tagging them or their organization on Twitter, or sometimes I'll just slide into the DMs on Facebook and just be like, "Hey, uh, you know, we're Facebook friends. Uh, I, I do this podcast. Will you come on and talk about this thing?" Mm-hmm. Almost everyone says yes. I mean, okay. it's it's actually very rare that I get ignored or rejected for the most part. And and again, probably because the kind of people I reach out to are people that <coughs> were once like me, people that just wanted to talk about politics, and now whatever platform they have, they were lucky. I don't want to say lucky enough. They worked hard enough, or what have you, to to have whatever platform they do have. And you know, I think they're we're all sort of appreciative in their own way. I can't imagine never, other than having time issues and that sort of thing, ever not wanting to come on podcasts and go on radio shows and spend time talking about this stuff. It's why I started my podcast. So of course I'm going to want to do it yeah. as much as you know as much as possible. That's why I rushed to make my pizza to hop on and talk to, <laughs> to you guys tonight. Well, and I and I, I I feel like we're like the umlaut level podcast, so it's like the, not even the same language. So I really appreciate you coming on, which is it, – it's, it's really awesome. But that is that is definitely one stumbling block that I've had. I mean we're – this is going to be episode I think 64. So we've had quite a few episodes, but it, that's one of the big things that I've had a hard time with is like how do I get guests on? And that it, it is a big – maybe it's an ego thing is that like – from my own ego, it's kind of like going like, well, they don't want to talk to me. Like I'm just some you know schmuck right. or whatever. But well, we uh, all have imposter syndrome to an extent. Uh, that's whenever true. we start something, especially like me, I had never podcasted before. I didn't, you know, I I work in video production, so I had like experience with the concept of like putting things together. But audio editing and audio and doing podcasts is really a totally different thing. Um, right, it's a completely different thing. And you know, we all have that that level of imposter syndrome. Like, why would someone want to talk to me, or am I even qualified to be interviewing this person? I've definitely had moments like that. I mean. Even to this day, I just interviewed Justin Amash two weeks ago, and I got nervous and had my own feelings of like, do I even belong here before that interview? But well, that was a, uh, that was a great day, that was a great interview. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, that we're all we're all just people, you know. We, all, we might all be on different quote unquote levels, but those levels are mostly in the eyes of us, of each other, you know, of mm-hmm. of whoever you see as higher than you. You're the one that is intimidated. They're not thinking down upon you like like you might think. Right. Uh, there might be some people that are too big in se- in the sense that they're so inundated with emails and requests that they you know just don't have the time or just can't get back to you or don't prioritize people mm-hmm. uh depending on who they are but that's that's just you know that's just life uh, that's but for the most part people are i think especially again it's especially people in our movement that are so passionate about spreading these ideas i, I just find most people are eager to do it even even before i could say you know i'm i'm the host of lions of liberty and i've interviewed xyz that certainly helps i think getting a few initial guests that you can sort of name drop once i interviewed walter block once i interviewed lou rockwell or peter schiff like i i started name dropping these emails in every invitation name dropping those names in every invitation i would say i've interviewed people such as and i would just rattle off a few names just so those people would know like you know (laughs) i've interviewed some legit people and that therefore makes me legit so come on so you know it can a lot of times it can be about just getting those first few sort of known quote-unquote known names Mm -hmm. and then uh, especially if they're very well known within the same niche of whoever you're reaching out to and then hey name drop city okay okay well that that sounds like a good idea so mason you and i need to start uh name dropping john w dan the the winemaker from Portland, Oregon, so that people know For that sure. we that we actually have interviewed 
winemakers before and not just uh, libertarians. Although I'll tell you, Mark, my uh, dream guest is Mary Ruert, I think, be- which you've interviewed, Mary Ruert. I think yeah, she's twice. great. She's uh, the sweetest lady ever. Oh, and and she's prob- – actually, Mason, you. I'll tell the story again. I've told it a million times. Mason, you were there this the day that this happened, I think, is uh, I was listening to – uh, healing our world by Mary Root, and I was taking a walk, and Mason, Mason, and my old roommate were out in the in the back of my house uh, cooking out, and I remember walking through the gate, taking my headphones off, and Mason and and Nate were grilling and going, guys, I think I'm an anarchist now, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was it was listening to Healing Our World. It was like for whatever reason, the way that she that I, I was listening to the audio book that you can guys can uh, I think you can get on Free Keen now is. Um, just whatever for whatever reason the way that she explained it it clicked and i was like huh she's not really advocating anarchy in this at all but it just it makes sense to me the way that she's putting it out and but anyways the reason that she's my dream guest is that she did work in alcoholism and medical treatments for alcohol uh Hmm. alcohol withdrawal and like and the uh, illnesses caused by alcohol and i was like this would be a really great person to talk about how the government prevents you from implementing a lot of these uh, solutions or at least things that will help alcoholics. I, I, I could be talking out of turn. I believe that one of the things that she developed was some sort of additive to liquor that would help counteract liver disease and that her employer said this will never pass the FDA because they don't they don't want to promote they don't want to promote people drinking and uh so that kind of put the kibosh on <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, real drinking is so much so much better to promote right it, exactly <laughs> it's like you can't you can't just extend their life a little bit so that, that maybe they can get sober and and um but yeah so anyways that's one of my dreams you've you've interviewed her so now that i'm now now that i've interviewed you i'm going to name drop you to try you to go. get her, <laughs> to try to get her that on. would be i mean yeah to go from the name dropper to the name droppy i mean that's a milestone to me oh yeah that is, yeah, that is a milestone. that's what i was gonna say it's like, i want i want a screenshot of that email it's like jacob you realize now we're or mark you realize now we're just gonna be name dropping you continuously. <laughs> now that i've given you that idea yeah. i am now the name dropper. yeah yeah okay well you know what i do we have interviewed uh, mark claire of lions of liberty he's interviewed so you can do like a second <laughs> name right so you say you've interviewed me yeah. and then list people i've interviewed who's interviewed you you should come on our show <laughs> he's interviewed people like you so mm-hmm. there we go what can you argue yeah how exactly can how can you argue that, that? yeah <laughs> well you know there's one more thing i want to get to before we get into the wine a little bit more in depth because i sent mason a similar wine to the one you're drinking mark but it's not exactly the same but i know that i don't want to totally monopolize your time um so and we've got about about 18 minutes left so um, my last question for you, which is like a personal question is you guys started the Liberty on the rocks thing. I really enjoyed watching that video. You did a little bit of stand up on that. What's going on with your stand up? I really enjoyed it. So there's a few different ones. I'm not sure which one you actually saw. So we, we have partnered. There's a separate organization called Liberty on the rocks that's okay. there in a bunch of cities, but yeah, we, we partner with them. He's a great guy, Pablo Serrano that runs the LA chapter. And we did a few different, um, or, events with dave smith and jason stapleton i've technically i have done stand-up in real life a couple times uh it's not like a thing i do it's just something i have done a couple times i don't have the passion i I like it it yeah okay Uh, i haven't so i'm not sure what you heard so the only what i'm thinking you must have heard is that i actually did a speech to uh the los angeles county libertarian party and i did not do stand-up technically but i did spend the first two minutes making fun of michael bolden and that might (laughs) i think that's it i think that's it i think that might that might be (laughs) no but it's a good point like i I approach 
I have not given many speeches, but I'm starting. I gave that speech, and I'm starting to sort of craft talks that I can give at libertarian events. It's another thing I want to start doing more of. And I do approach it the same way I approach doing a stand-up set in many ways. You know, there's just there's points you want to hit, and you have to look at your points as punchlines. You have to sort of strike a chord with these same points. And and that and what I'm thinking you might have heard, I was sort of telling the story about how I became a libertarian and how Ron Paul mm-hmm. inspired mm-hmm. me and how we can kind of capture that same energy to inspire others yeah. and uh, how the passion is sort of contagious. Uh, so I was just trying to hit, like, key points, and I guess – even within that, I can't really remember the exact points I had, um, but I, I definitely hit like a few intentionally comedic notes throughout that because uh, making people laugh does strike an emotional chord with, with people. And if you make people oh, sure. laugh, they're at least on your side in that moment, even if they don't agree with what you're saying. Of course, I was with a, a very uh, you know a friendly libertarian audience at this thing, but I'd like to be able to expand these abilities to non-libertarian audiences. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, once you can make someone laugh, they've now identified with you. You're all in this together. You're all laughing together. So I think that's a very important skill uh and this is i think something overall that libertarians could all uh, use use a bit more of is developing social skills right and i recently did my personality test i've done it a few times i'm not a naturally social person it is actually a developed skill for many people i'm uh, an intp like my 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 instinct is not to be out there being social my instinct is to like you know be inside my own head and sort of spend time alone and kind of see other people so it really is a big leap even initially podcasting was a, was very difficult for me uh to sort of get over that hump uh as funny as that may sound now. Uh, so it, it can be a skill, but it is a skill that's important if you mm-hmm. want to spread the ideas effectively. Um, calling someone a sadist is not helpful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yelling at someone and, and proving them wrong might make you feel good. It's not helpful if your goal is to actually spread the ideas. And these are things I'm learning. Like, I didn't approach this that way five or six years ago. Uh, I thought I had to win the arguments every time. That would yeah. surely show people the error of their ways. It doesn't work that way no. at all. It actually works the opposite that way. If someone feels defeated in an argument, they generally entrench themselves in their mm-hmm. position and get in a defensive mental stance. And if we want to communicate with people better and we want to spread the ideas, which is why we all do this ultimately, then we have to learn how to do that. And it's a definitely an acquired skill. It's one we all need to, to learn better. And, uh, I, and I think approaching things like that – I don't even remember what your initial question is now, now that I'm just ranting. But yeah. that is largely my, largely my approach is to yeah. try to find ways to connect with people ultimately in whatever way. And, but but um, as you were asking about, co- comedy is one way to do that for sure. So but, I, I have tried to sort of dabble in that world. It's not something I'm passionate enough, especially in Los Angeles. If you're going to make it, quote unquote, as a comedian – you need to basically be willing to work for nothing seven nights a week for five years and hope it works out. Right. And I don't have that kind of passion for it, but I do find <laughs> it uh, you know, a useful skill to dabble in and try to build where it can help me in, in other ways. Well, I mean I think that, that really resonates with me. I'm also an INTP, um, and the, that whole, the idea of thinking that if you, if you give people the logic, you give them the evidence, they're going to arrive at the conclusion is nope. – yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, there. You know, I'm I'm a software developer by by trade. So like the way I think about the world is like, no, look, I put the inputs in. I have the logic correct. Make the output correct. Like and but that that that's the work. I, I've I've had to learn over a long time in my career is is just that a lot of it is winning people over to your side personally and then getting them to trust you so that they can see that you're 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 right i I don't i don't actually want to inflict violence on you which you know again this is kind of that's a heavy way to phrase it 
because right. they, well, you want to at least get them to see that you're not evil, you know, that, yeah. that you have the same intentions as them in the sense that and I think this is true. Like we most people who are passionate about politics think that what they believe is best for most yeah. for everybody or for the most people. Yeah, I mean, they, re they really do. And that's there's no better place that could be more challenging me on this issue than being a single man for the last year and a half in Los Angeles, California, dating women. Yeah. I mean, every single person I meet is to some extent a, a lib uh, a I don't even like the word liberal. That's my word. I still think I'm liberal. A progressive, a leftist, a socialist to to various extents. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't want to turn them off right away. So I don't beat them with anarchy and sure. uh, libertarianism off the bat. But it has, I think it's very much helped me to find uh, to refine these skills of actually communicating and trying to meet people where they are mm -hmm. and, um, you know, communicate to different people in different ways based on what they're they're sort of already telling. Yeah, yeah it, it's a, it is a tough it's a it's a. For particularly like people that have similar personalities to you and me, it, it is a tough, uh, it's a tough skill to learn because it's it's just it doesn't come natural. It's just a, it, but it, over time you do see you start seeing this, and I think that you know the INTP type. Just just for full disclosure, my wife is really really into MPTI, and so I uh, I I have INTP like framework or whatever like just drilled into my head <laughs> so so that that's the that's the I'm, the very first thing that that my wife said to me we, we met online the very first thing she sent to me she sent me a message and said here take this mbti test and i'll decide if we're compatible or not <laughs> yikes <laughs> she, she she's eastern european no pressure though right right no pressure she's eastern european though so it's, it's very typical but uh okay, yeah, that's, oh that she, actually does put it in context yeah yeah very yeah direct. <laughs> very direct very direct I, i've dated an eastern european or two so yeah. <laughs> i get it yeah she's she is a is a joy to be married to though because she's very very direct but uh but yeah it it, it is it's, it's a hard skill to learn and i think that you're right i think that your your way of communicating is humorous also you just have a very personable voice and that makes people more inclined to listen to what you have to say well, thank uh, you because that's what i'm most paranoid most sort of self-critical of <laughs> i hate my voice uh, i think that's very common among humans is to do I think so your too. voice your voice literally sounds different played mm -hmm. back recorded than it does live as you speak it so it's just a natural thing but every time i listen to shows there's little things that i hate about the way i say something or just what i what i'm saying uh so i do appreciate it despite how uh whatever tier i, I may be on to you i like the, that kind of stuff does actually mean something to me because yeah. i know especially for people like you that have listened to it oh I, I i i love i love every interview you do i think it's i think it's great but you know, we, we do – I want to be respectful of your time, and I know that you have a heart out in a few minutes. I, I just want to go ahead and just before we end the show, uh, I want you to cover your wine, and then I also want you to you say, should. I, Mark Claire, endorse Childeberg because I'm the organizer of Childeberg right now with Car Campit, and I just want to make sure that you're on board with Childeberg being a legitimate libertarian event in Texas. I don't expect you to show up at – at least not at Libertaria – or not, not at Childeberg Uno, but at Childeberg Dose. I expect you to be there. That's next year for and uh, so go ahead and give us a review of the wine if you, if you can. Just it doesn't have to be fancy. Just layman terms. What do you think about it? We'll go ahead and close out with that, and then also uh, tell us what you think about Schilderberg if you know anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, I do. I do. I, I have actually listened to a couple of your podcasts recently, and I have uh, listened to the Friends Against Government a bit, so I, I, I am aware of Schilderberg. Uh, on the the podcast that never aired, that was deleted by Dark Tom Woods. Oh, Dark Tom Woods. Schilderberg. <laughs> Dark Schilderberg. My, Dark Childerberg, I just called it. Uh, my favorite part about Dark Tom Woods is that it's come, It's a meme that has come to life out of a podcast that never 
air. I do plan to redo a podcast with those guys at some point. But um, let's see. What was it? Oh, yeah. As far as the wine goes, I'm now a real sommelier when it comes to criticizing wine. Um, I'm sort of a simpleton. I just kind of drink wines and I think to myself, this is okay. This is good. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. I'm not very good at really diving into all the terms. But I will say when I open this wine before I destroyed my pizza and had a crack of it, I thought to myself, oh, this is good. (laughs) Good. Okay. And uh, I'm trying to think of some some adjectives so I can be a little more descriptive. You know what? It is is not too sweet. It's not really sweet at all. It's very – I don't know if this is a term that's – I don't know what terms are used in wine. But I would describe it as like thick. Is that a term? Like thicker than thin? I don't know what that means when I'm saying it, but you probably do. Yeah, I do. We would describe that as like a heavy mouthfeel. There you go. Full-bodied. Full-bodied. Yeah, yeah, it's a very full, rich wine that is not sweet. It's just rich in flavor. I'm really enjoying drinking it, quite honestly. I don't know how how to better further describe it than that. Well, that that, and that is perfect. So this is kind of the point of well. Many of the points of our show is Mason and I are not experts. We're not sommeliers. We don't really know right. a huge amount about wine. We're getting into it because we – I don't know if it's we got too old or our diets changed or what the deal is, but we just couldn't drink as much beer as we used to drink, yeah, and we switched yeah, to wine. Join the club. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So uh, so we switched to wine. It seems to work better for us, and when, when Mason and I first met, I thought wine was disgusting until I discovered one day from Black Box Cabernet Sauvignon that not all wine is awful. It's not yeah. all Franzia. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's Car Camp's favorite is yep. Franzia. Fran- Franzia on the rocks. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. I, one of the reasons I chose this wine for you, Mark, is because you told me a couple of the wines that you liked. You said you like Cabernet Sauvignon, um, some of the more darker, drier wines. And I was like, yeah, I think that's safe to say. I was like, perfect, because that's what I like. And so I went ahead and sent you a, a darker, drier wine, a good representation of Texas. This particular one is a, it's a 2013 Texas Tempranillo, Tempranillo Reserve. Um, it won gold medal. Uh, I'm going to say this wrong. Gold medal in uh, best in class at the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo International Wine Competition. So very Texas is a rodeo at one a competition. <laughs> That's the most Texas wine competition I've heard of. <laughs> well, and, and there's a ton of them like that. So they, they, win, they win this gold medal. I've actually tried this one before, and I thought it was very good. Uh, Mason, let's go ahead and save your review of the one that you've got until – because I know that, Mark, you've got a hard out. Uh, mm-hmm. But Mason, can you stay on? That's what for, she said. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mason, but can you stay on a little bit afterward to review yours? Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Mark, do you have? Do you want to go ahead and plug Lions of Liberty? Because I, I know like, we are really running well, thin on time. I would I would first like to uh, do as you requested and fully endorse Childerberg based on yes. uh, my knowledge of both you guys and, and the uh, the Friends Against Government. I, I fully endorse the event. Uh, what is it again exactly? It's early June? Yeah, so June 8th and 9th. I'm going to okay. play the commercial at the end of this episode because I recorded a commercial. And um, basically oh, nice. the, the deal with it is that this is the – uh, freedom, the free folks, because we don't want to offend any of the other types of libertarians. So we're not saying libertarian. We're not saying anarchist. We're not saying minarchist. We're not saying voluntarist. Free folk, all of the free folk can can assemble. This is the free folks' response to Bilderberg. So Bilderberg is going to be roughly around the same time. We're going to go ahead and hang out at the lake. We've got the wine van, which is going to drive people to uh, three wineries that are in the area. 
so you guys can. Yeah, use and, and I'm not just endorsing this as a favor. I'm endorsing it due to your description that I've heard, you know, on a, another show or two. I, this is the <laughs> kind of event that if I could make, I would totally make. Okay. Well, you and know what? I'm, I will even, I will not promise to get there, <coughs> but I'll promise to look into it. How about that? All right. Yes. Okay. Promise to look into it. It's not out of the question that I could, you know, there's yeah. work things and life things. Sure. Absolutely. But, and, and I know, and I know that it's only like a weekend or two weekends before Pork Fest. So right. we, that's this, a big month. Yeah. So one of the things that we're kind of billing this as is a alternative to Porkfest. If you can't make it out to the East Coast, that's you can come out to Childerberg and just hang out with us. The other alter, the other alternative it is, and um, this is nowhere near our level, but it's fun to make memes about it. Uh, this is the alternative. And maybe if we can get, say, another couple hundred bucks a month on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, wink nudge, maybe <laughs> that would give me the funds to, you know, buy a little flight out to Childerberg and record some podcasts. Perfect. That would that would be <laughs> awesome. There's going to be a lot of podcasters out there, uh, and I think that uh, if you if you can look at into it, that would be great. But, um, again, don't expect you to come, but in Childerberg, Childerberg dose. Also what she said. Yeah, also what she said. Child- yeah, I just can't read this. <laughs> Childerberg dose. We're going to be doing that around the 2020, uh, the 2020 Libertarian National Convention. So oh, you, very wise. Yes. Yeah. You can just make right. that all one week. That's exactly. Exactly. That's, that's our plan. So if you're going to be out here anyways, you just stay a little bit longer and you hang out at Childerberg dose. So like it. Uh, that is, that's it. So go ahead and plug the rest of your stuff. You've got the Patreon. You've got, um, You've got well, the Patreon's the biggest, the biggest thing. You've got three shows a week. What, what are the three shows again? Go ahead and re- reiterate. Sure. Those. So I host the flagship uh, show on uh, LionsOfLiberty.com. That's where you can find everything, and of course on every podcatcher everywhere. But uh, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, the original show that I first started over five years ago, uh, and as we've referenced throughout the show, and one of the first, this is one of the things I wanted to do from from the very beginning of the, the from the genesis of the show. I always wanted to incorporate these guys into it somehow. I just didn't know how it would sort out. So I started by bringing them on to the libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor format where we just kind of sit around kind of like this which you said sort of inspired this show just yeah. sitting around like normal people drinking and talking you know just seeing where it goes and without very really any plan uh but eventually you know they got more comfortable podcasting and uh i was able to grow the show along with their help and uh, they decided to do their own show so now we have brian mcwilliams on wednesdays he does a show called electric liberty land he's also a comedian out here in los angeles so he brings on a lot of people from the comedy world uh, a lot of good crossover in that way he's had uh, owen benjamin on a few times very 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 funny, ridiculous person. He is uh, very – Dave yeah. Smith on, you know, all sorts of comedians, not necessarily libertarian comedians per se, although those two people I mentioned uh, – well, Dave obviously is. Dave, Dave is, for sure, you know, yeah. Owen Dave, is Dave something. For sure. we, don't, we don't know what he is, yeah. but he's really fun. Uh, Owen's and, interesting. And yeah, yeah. He's interesting. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of gotten gone into flat – flat Earthland lately and whatever we don't need to get into his whole thing but brian brings on amazing guests and also does a lot of like awesome solo rants which i think uh is something that was missing from the show before i get into rants occasionally but uh he is a rant machine so it's real been really a great addition and then we have john oderman on fridays with felony friday where he as the tagline says exposes the injustice and the broken criminal justice uh, and he like i said has had amazing stories and we've started to cross pollinate the libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor for format as we, as we mentioned into all three of those programs so it's a a very interesting time here where we're every single show has its own feel but then within that we're all incorporating this this sort of similar format where about once a month each of our shows will bring on some other people from uh either our close circle of lions of liberty people or we're also going to bring on guests and that sort of thing and just introduce that format uh to more people and and kind of bring it across our platform even more because it is our our consistently most downloaded shows are the ones that format 
I can have Tom Woods on and I'll get great down those numbers and we can just do a round table where we just talk and, and shoot the shit and get even higher numbers. It's right, really yeah. amazing the, the things that you think we'll, we'll do better than others. And, and, and that has really, uh, I guess the market has been speaking and the market has been telling us they want to hear more of that format. So we are providing it. But uh, yeah, you can find all of us at lionsofliberty.com. Uh, again, our Patreon, if you want to chip in a few ducats to help us fund this operation, you can find that over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We don't just beg for money. We add a, a ton, as you know, uh, oh, Jake. Oh, absolutely. Here, Alliance Liberty Pride. Yeah. We do just really endless amounts of bonus content. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I had a, the, I was listening to it at work today, uh, the most recent episode of the League of Liberty that um, with yeah. my, one of my favorite things is when um, Roger Paxton just gets into an argument with whoever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's my favorite. One of my favorite things is that uh, is I think in that la- that last episode you were too hungover to uh, argue. Ar- yeah, tried listening back to it. Oh yeah, it, it was great. great. <laughs> they, they just yeah, it was great. Johnny Rocket and and Roger Paxton just arguing about it. I think I'm actually more well, on the in jo- a respectful way. You know, oh they, oh, they oh very very much, it, but not yeah. at each other, yeah. more at the idea. Right. So like I fully endorse going ahead and getting on the Patreon. You can even get in at the Simba level, which is where Mason and I are. Um, yeah, and yeah. Exactly, you get the bonus content. It's great content, and oh, I, I have to ask now that now that I'm, you're on the spot on air, were, were one of you Tom, Dark Tom Woods in the in the live uh, the live stream the other no, night? No, no, that's oh, I I, I don't figure out. We're, we're trying to figure out it too because I've been talking to Car Campit about it too. He doesn't know who it is either. Either yeah, and he's not. Well, there's the Dark Tom Woods on Twitter. Yeah, but there's also a Dark Tom Woods uh, that used that as a screen name in our our Patreon only live stream the other night. So we know it's one of 114 people. <laughs> yeah. that had access. <laughs> that link yeah uh, I, we I, just don't know who and i was just thinking of people that are in on the joke and oh, you're one yeah. of them but I, if it wasn't no. you i'm not really sure i'm not i'm not sure either like i i i have two twitters i'm i'm tasting anarchy on twitter and i'm also at childerberg on twitter but the tar- dark tom woods on twitter is somebody completely different and in that feed i have no idea who that was and that may or may not be the same person that was in our live stream i don't even know that's yeah. the thing about dark tom woods it's more of a concept <laughs> that cannot right. be confined to anyone person. exactly okay well <laughs> Mark, thank you very much for being on. I know that you've got a thank hard out, so a I'm going to go ahead and let you go. But Mason, stay on because I want to go mm-hmm. ahead and review your wine as well because it's similar to yeah. Mark's, but it's a little bit different. It is indeed, nice. yes. And thank you for being with us, Mark. Thank you, Mason, Jacob. It's been a blast, guys. It's, uh, we should do it again sometime in, yes, in some sir. format or another, maybe even at Childer- Childerberg. Oh, my years. gosh, oh, that would yes. be awesome. All right. All right. Peace out, gentlemen. Appreciate See, it. See you later. Take care. So did you, did, you get a try, did you get a chance to try this Texas Tempranillo? Yeah, I've had two glasses of it. Oh, good. Okay, I'm glad. Um, what do you think about it? Um, so my taste isn't 100% super strong mm-hmm. at the moment. So it's definitely, you know, Tempranillo, it's, it's very dry. Um, it's not as heavy of a, a mouthfeel as a full-bodied, at least the way I'm feeling it right now. But mm-hmm. again, for, you know, general listeners, if you hear my voice, I sound like I've gargled steel wool. Um, so super not strong on the taste and or feel at the moment, but hang on. It's definitely a different style of Tempranillo mm-hmm. or Tempranillo, and it's more subtle. It's not as aggressive as some of the other ones, like the, um, like my favorite one, or not my favorite one, but the one I get off and the the Chilean one. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's yeah, it's so what would, is a solid wine. What would you say? So what would you say the price <laughs> point of that one would be? Um, one more time. What would you think the price point of that would be? Uh, in the twenty dollar range. Okay, that's that's interesting. So this that the one that you have is thirteen dollars. Mm, uh, now I don't know if that is a because it's local to Texas or if it is legitimately just a thirteen dollar wine. But this is from uh, 
Peridinalis sellers. I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I hope that I am. I also mm-hmm. sent, or I'm, uh, I'm not going to admit it. I didn't send it to Mark. Whatever Mark, Mark acquired it. So, anyways, Peridinalis <laughs> sellers. That is, uh, that's interesting about this is that the year that the one that I sent to Mark. So the one that I sent to Mark is actually forty five dollars a bottle, and that I had I had one glass of that. And I had one glass of the one that you had, and they are mm-hmm. they are very different. The what's interesting about the one that um, I sent to Mark, which is the twenty the twenty thirteen Texas Tempranillo Reserve, is mm-hmm. is made up of Tempranillo Tempranillo from. The High Plains and Tempranillo from Hill Country, which are very, very far places apart. They're about five hours apart um, in driving, and they are very different. So there was actually a – that year there was a frost, and it killed a lot of a lot of the grapes that were on the vine. So they, there was a much smaller harvest, and it made a, a different harvest for this reserve. So they ended up selecting the best and put it together to make the Texas Tempranillo Reserve. It's 13.3% alcohol by volume. Um, it comes from the uh, Newsome Vineyard and the Bingham Vineyard. Bingham. Yeah, Bingham Vineyard. Mm-hmm. The one that you have, it doesn't have specified vineyards. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure what the difference is. But when I try them, there is a difference. I think that they're both very good. But it's very clear that the uh, $45 one has a more... I don't want to, I don't like using this word exactly, but it has a more pure structure. Like it, like structurally, it's a better wine. And, and I've run mm-hmm. in, I've run into this recently because, uh, I'll go ahead and plug this because Mason, you and I are running this, this, uh, this deal is if you use our link, which is last bottle wine slash invite slash tasting anarchy, you can get $10 off your wine. I've ordered a lot of very high dollar wines from last bottle wines and, one example is this is Cabernet Franc. You know, Mason, I really love Cabernet Franc. Mm-hmm. I, I had a 2015 uh, 240. It's a Lang & Reed Cabernet Franc from the Napa Valley. It is a superbly structured wine. Normally, it retails for about $50. Mm-hmm. I got it from Last Bottle Wines for under 20 which is a great deal. It, I can tell when I drink it, it is a better structured wine than the one that I get from Loire, but I like the one from Loire better. And I don't mm-hmm. know. And, and I think that's something that's interesting that you and I are starting to discover now that we get into wine more and more is the, the price point doesn't always, it may, re, it may reflect quality, but it doesn't necessarily reflect what you like mm-hmm. because be, between the, the two Tempranillos, the one that Mark had and the one that you have, honestly, for the price point, I prefer the one that you have. Mm-hmm. It's it's more drinkable. It's doesn't um, even though I think the one I sent to Mark is more refined. It has a it, it has a much more balanced structure as far as wine goes. I feel like yours is more interesting, and that seems to be what I'm I'm mostly interested these days is an interesting wine. I don't, I don't know what are your thoughts on that. So um, I'm going to try not to cough through this. But... If, you, if you do, it's fine. Yeah. No. no. So. Remember the the New Zealand uh, Pinot Grigio we had? Yeah. And it was like dirt friggin' cheap in America. So I think there's a – it's kind of like um, – I, I almost have like a, a – I can't get fighting metaphors out of my head for describing this. Right. Sometimes you want to drink a glass of wine and you want to be challenged. Okay. You, you know, like let's say you had a bad day. Your dinner wasn't super interesting. You know, like 
you know, Victoria is away and, and you're just eating leftovers for the fifth night in a row. Cause you know, you're, you're the only one who's there and you're just like, all right, whatever, I'm going to eat refried beans and ground beef again. <laughs> so not a super flavorful dinner. So you want something complex. You want something that's challenging. And then you go for a high, higher dollar bottle of wine, or maybe you go for a more exotic one that you're not as familiar with. But when you're like, oh, this is a really good piece of meat, you know, or this really good dinner that I already know what it's like, you know, second night of the dinner or something like that. So you don't want to, <coughs> so you don't necessarily want a wine that's going to fight you to mm -hmm. come out and taste it. So like with this $13 one, it's more wild. It's okay. not, it's not as refined. It's not as structured, but it's also not as challenging. Cause like we were talking about in the past with like me with Pinot Noir, I know there's stuff there. I just don't get it. Okay. So for me, like Pinot Noir, it's like, yeah, like you give me a $45 bottle of Pinot Noir, you give me a $10 bottle of Pinot Noir. I, I know I'm going to know the difference between the two, but am I going to know the difference in a way like you would, where it's like, here's the refineness of this. This is why this is a, mm -hmm. a $45 bottle as opposed to a $10. I'm going to be like, yeah, this one just tastes a lot more like alcohol because it's 10 bucks. Right. And that's about it. And I might like the $10 bottle more because Pinot Noir is too refined for me as it stands. Okay. I see. I, I see. So, it's, you know, one of, you know, kind of the point, and, and we won't, we won't stay on too much longer, but cause I know you're not feeling well. And I also, I don't have a huge amount more to say, but Pinot Noir is one of those that I used to think it was too delicate for me to enjoy mm -hmm. until I started getting sort of a baseline for what Pinot Noir should be or what, not necessarily what it should be, but what um, what it could be, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's like, what are the things that you can do? What's coming out of Oregon? What's coming out of, uh, you know, uh, Santa Cruz, California? You know, like well, it's, Santa Cruz is not what they call it, but it's right next to Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. So I, I keep calling it. I can't remember what it's called. But, um, you know, what's coming out of there? What does that taste like? What is What does Loire taste like? What is What does Rhone taste like? What is... Uh, you know, Burgundy tastes like, I think actually Rhone, they don't make Pinot Noir, but Burgundy, I think is where, where Pinot Noir comes from. And, um, you can get such interesting differences in these wines and, and Pinot Noir is definitely one of those that takes terroir a lot. Um, the other thing that, you know, I, I found this out about Cabernet Franc, which, you know, is one of my favorites is Cabernet Franc is also one that takes terroir. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's so impressive how different it is depending on where it's grown and how it's, how the wine is produced. So mm -hmm. I had I had this one from uh, from Napa that I got from Last Bottle Wines. It is a little bit more aggressive. It's a very high alcohol. It's like fourteen point five percent alcohol. Very very high for a Cabernet Franc. Um, it's uh, full. Or it's light bodied, but it has higher tannins for a, a Cab Franc. Not not super high tannins when comparing it to like Cab Sauv or something like that. But it, it it's different. And then you've got – I had also a couple weeks ago, I had one from the Columbia Valley in Washington. It was um, not really minerally. It was more fruity. It was uh, – it, it tasted hot. Like it tasted like uh, – not hot as in like a burninginess in the back of the alcohol, like back of your throat alcoholiness. Mm -hmm. But it was just – it was a hotter wine. It tasted like maybe it ripened hotter. But then like you've got – like yeah, yeah, peppery? yeah. A little bit like a little more peppery, a little bit more spicy, a little mm -hmm. bit more like uh, those flavors. But then you've also got Loire, which is is so far my favorite of the Cabernet Francs is is from Loire Valley, which 
you can only at, at total wine, I can only get like three or four types, types of, uh, or, t- uh, three or four vineyards that make Cabernet Franc from Loire. It's mostly white wines and, um, minerally well balanced, very low tannins, but enough tannin to give me the little bit of a sticky mouth feel, a little bit of acidity just, uh, reminds me of, of like, good candy when i'm going out to sam's club with my or not not sam's club the place but uh there was a there's a place called sam's that we, we used to play like skeet ball and like arcades mm-hmm. and stuff like that my grandpa used to take me out of out of school in the middle of the day and he would take me up there and they would have like candy that you could win by playing like skeet ball or playing the different arcades and mm-hmm. and like that that this this cabernet franc from loire it always kind of brings me back to that it's like it's it's got this acidity that makes my mouth water. It's got a fruitiness to it. It's it's minerally, so it tastes maybe slightly metallic. It, it's it's such an interesting flavor. That's that's my favorite one right now. But I also love the the you know the one that I got from Napa. It's different. It's it's so it's so interesting and complex. And that's kind of uh, what I like about the Tempranillo from or Tempranillo from Texas. Is it's it's so different depending on where you get it. Depending on the year, you know, Texas is it has an erratic climate. It is it mm-hmm. some years is very very cold and you have to harvest early. Some years is incredibly hot and you have to harvest at a different time, and you get a lot more sugar. So you're getting like these very high alcohol tempranillos, and I think that's one of the cool things about Texas. So if if you listeners uh, want to try uh, a Texas tempranillo, I really encourage you to look for the Pedernales sellers they i think that the winery is in hill country but they get they get grapes from up in um up in the high plains region and they also get it from hill countries they'll make a a whole bunch of different tempranillos they're 2016 they actually have the the hill country straight tempranillo and they also have the high plains tempranillo um street and then they also have the reserve for 2016 which is a mix of the two which is they've selected the appropriate grapes from both to make a a more structured wine. So depending on what level you're at, I mean, honestly, I would buy all three and I might buy all three because next week I'm going to be uh, driving down to Marfa to plant grapes with Alta Marfa Vineyard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I might make a stop by their winery to try to pick up a couple of these bottles that are not available in my area. Uh, yeah. It's super interesting. I, and also I, I, I would love to send Mason. I want to send you a couple of these uh, wines that I've discovered in Texas that I really like. I've got uh, a, a box to send them in. I just have to figure out like what the deal is with that. So, Oh, keep, keep in mind you're going to be out here in two months. That's true. Uh, so I do need to keep that in mind. Okay, but anyways, yeah. let's go ahead and, and leave it there. I, I know that you, you are not feeling well, so you want to get to bed, and I've got to go walk the dog and all that sort of stuff. This was a great episode. I'm really excited about it. Um, Mason, you and I will get back together next week, as always. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and do a couple of plugs. I'll yes. go ahead and do them because I know that your your voice is a little bit harsh. Check out the Friends Against Government. Uh, great show. I've been on there recently. You can follow uh, them at, at @fagcast on Twitter, or you can follow Car Campit at Car Campit, or you can follow Bird Arcus at Bird Arcus on Twitter. Uh, also, Mason was recently on Sounds Like Liberty, mm-hmm. and you can follow them at Sounds Like Liberty on Twitter. You can also and Car was on there just this week. That's right, he was. I forgot about that. So Carr was on there, and he mentioned both you and me while mm-hmm. uh, while that episode. So if you guys are interested in those crossovers, check it out. 
And then let me go ahead and reiterate um, real quick. Lions of Liberty has been very influential to both Mason and me as far as podcasting goes. Also, um, I think it was life in general. Yeah, life in general. I mean, I you know, I think when I started really getting into libertarian podcasting, I was going through kind of a rough, <coughs> like a rough patch in my life, and libertarian podcasting kind of like brought me through that and kept me ori- mm-hmm. oriented toward the North Star, so to speak. So check out Lions of Liberty. You can also follow Mark Claire at Mark Claire on Twitter. And um, that is – oh, I didn't say to follow us. At Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. You can also follow me tweeting at Childerberg. And um, you could also probably – well, no, I'm going to release this episode tomorrow. So uh, the website's not up, but keep an eye out. Childerberg.com will be up. You can sign up for the newsletter. It's Berg, B-U-R-G, not B-E-R-G. Um, so just to you know, kind of keep your spelling in line with the Jacob spelling. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I spell it. Uh, also, go ahead and email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Uh, we are doing fundraising for Childerberg, so check out the Childerberg GoFundMe. And also, if you if you prefer not to do a GoFundMe because there is a slight fee, you can directly send us a payment, tastinganarchy at gmail.com on PayPal. If you want to send uh, cryptocurrency, hit us up on Twitter, at Childerberg, and I will put you in contact with at Carl Campit because he can process cryptocurrency payments. I do not have that knowledge at this point. Anything else, Mason, that I'm missing? Uh, stay free. All right, everybody, stay free. Once a year, the world's power brokers meet in secret at a heavily secured facility and discuss the fate of regular people like you. This meeting is known as the Bilderberg. But you don't have to worry about that because you're going to Childerberg. Childerberg is the premier gathering of free folk in Texas, held at the beautiful Black Rock Park on the banks of refreshing Buchanan Lake in Iano County. Childerberg 2019, June 8th and 9th. Chill in the lake. Make new friends with liberty lovers like you. Enjoy camping in the great outdoors. Hop in the wine van and visit the local wineries. Participate in podcasting magic and much, much more. Email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com or reach out to us at Childerberg on Twitter for additional details. Childerberg 2019, June 8th and 9th. I'll see you there.